Welcome to Maximum Octane and your ride to the entrepreneur's evolution in the automotive industry. I'm your host, Kim Hickey, former shop owner turned industry educator, speaker, and entrepreneurial motivator. Each week during our ride together, you will hear unfiltered stories of inspiration and transformation shared by successful business owners and CEOs. Their experiences will motivate you to do things you never thought possible, encourage you to reach your full potential, and help you to exchange unproductive habits for productive ones. While many of my guests will be related to the automotive industry, it's crucial in the world of tomorrow that we stop being silos and we open our minds to ideas and inspiration from other industries as well. We also know that to be truly successful in business, you must have a healthy work and home life balance. All of my guests are handpicked with these crucial elements in mind. Our industry is evolving by the second and we need to as well. Buckle up, because here we go. Welcome back, everybody. This week's episode of Maximum Octane. This is your host, Kim Hickey. Hello, hello. Joining me today, I'm so excited, so excited, Mr. Don Ream. And I'm going to have to read all of you his bio a little bit, because Don has done so many things. There isn't any way that my little pea brain can remember it. And Don, welcome today. How are you? Thank you. I'm, I'm doing great. Thank you. You were you were uh, had a portfolio career way before it was cool, right? They're they're, they're gonna find yeah. that out that you you got to do that before it was a cool thing. You were the one that that said it. So some of the things, and I cannot possibly mention everything that Don does because right. we, that would be the entire episode, but. Don's the CEO of E3 Solutions, and it's an employee engagement tech company, and it allows organizations to build engaged, high-performance culture. We know right now there isn't anything more valuable to a company, to production, to profits than a high-performance culture. So this is so important. And his whole process and everything he does is based on using neuroscience and behavioral science and research that goes along with all of that, that he'll, he'll get into. I don't want to kind of steal his thunder. And Don, you, you were the science advisor to Congress and the secretary of health and human services. Well, the specifics are, I was a, a technical consultant to the science technology and space committee in the U S house of representatives. And then I was a science advisor to the secretary of the U S department of health and human services. Wow. Wow. And you're, you, you and your company have done tremendous things for business leaders, their companies, workplace conditions and all of that. And you're a, a sought after speaker and, and Ted talk, Ted talk. How many have you done now? I've done two. Uh, the second one, it hasn't been published yet. It, it is available on our website, but it, it hasn't hit the, the, uh, the Ted channel yet. That takes a little time. So if everybody wants to get a sneak preview of it, they can go right over there. And you're also author of the book, The Thrive by Design, which is a must. I, it sits here next to my desk all the time, part because I love the cover of it and the picture of the brain. But Thrive by Design is the neuroscience that drives high-performance cultures. And it's it's really yeah. incredible how everything kind of goes back to our caveman wiring, right? And all of that. So. Yeah. I'm, I'm so excited yeah. to, to have you here. And you come from a long line also of entrepreneurs and yeah. business people. Your great-grandfather was the president of Standard Oil. And your grandfather, Remanufacturing. Yeah. Don't think there's anybody that doesn't know who Remanufacturing is, at least 
if they've ever had an air conditioner or anything else. So yeah, or, a, or a water heater. Yeah. Yeah. Water heater. So many things. So, so Don, how did this all come about? Because really buzz, you know, culture and engagement was a buzzword for, for a while that people would throw around just whatever, but you actually came to the table with a process and, and science, science, not just a feel good, let's yeah. sing Kumbaya. Can you, can you talk about how you got started with that? Well, I started, I founded the company when I came across some research in the neurosciences and it's, it's been really remarkable. We've, we've learned more about the human brain in the last 15 years than we have in the previous thousand. But the sort of the key point is this, that uh, with brain imaging technology like fMRI machines, functional magnetic resonance imaging machines, we've just learned so much. And one of those key things is that we now know with a lot of specificity what the conditions are where human beings can operate at close to their full capacity. So it's almost like finding the ideal environment for homo sapiens where they can perform at their best. And, and when I read that and understood the significance of that, I thought business needs to know this. And because of the, I think there's, there's business in my blood, although I was the black sheep in the Ream family, I'm not trained formally in business, I'm trained as a biologist and ecologist. But I just knew that this information can have a profound impact inside organizations. And so that's when I started the company as a way to convey this information to business leaders that felt actionable and, and practical. I, I know in our world for using it and the E3 Solutions Culture ID and all of that, it, it's been a game changer for our business owners and so many little things that people try really hard, you know, entrepreneurs and, and leaders try really hard to make everybody happy and to have an environment that is allows for productivity and all of that. Yeah. And they're just missing the mark. And when the results come back from the surveys, sometimes they're shocked at what people are really feeling versus what they say and what they do, and I'm going to really give a very simple example, but we just had one business owner that they buy pizza every week and lunches and they do uh, scratch off cards and all these great things in yeah. the surveys came back that the employees didn't feel appreciated. And they were like, holy cow, we buy them pizza. We give them scratch offs. We buy them, give them Christmas bonuses. How could they not feel that? So can you talk about the disconnect? that we have between what the leaders yeah. think that their culture is and, <laughs> and yeah. what it actually yeah. is. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, as, as your members know, you all use our survey tool and provide it as a service to your members. So every one of your members, hopefully they should take the survey to, to get the data because you can't manage what you don't measure. But our survey right. is different than most right. of the surveys out there. Most of the surveys out there, they call themselves engagement surveys but they're actually employee satisfaction surveys. And there's just, and the point that I want to make is there's a huge difference between employee satisfaction and employee engagement. Satisfaction is an attitude. Engagement is a behavior. So we measure drivers of behavior, not drivers of sentiment. And so what happens for many business owners is they do things to make employees happy or satisfied, scratch cards, pizza or whatever. And those are wonderful things. There's nothing really wrong with that. 
But that's, that's not actually what drives people's behavior on a daily basis. So when you find out what does drive behavior, it's not scratch cards and free pizzas. It's, it's, it primarily focuses around the role of the manager, the person they report to, supervisor or manager. The fact is 70% of the variance of how engaged an employee is, is directly attributable to their immediate manager or supervisor. So I can get a scratch card and lots of pizza, but if I then go back to work under a toxic leader, there's no engagement there. The, the pizza can't make up for a bad leader uh, who is, for example, top-down, hierarchical, punitive, negative, uh, uses profanities, shames people in front of their peers, or, or on, on the other side, is just in, not there, uh, not accessible, uh, not willing to offer advice. Or uh, one of the things that we're hearing a lot in our survey responses just across the country and internationally is employees are reporting to people that are no help to them. And an example of that is employees are saying, I report to someone who couldn't do what I do. And so how am I supposed to go to this person for help when they have no clue how to actually do this work? So this is just, you know, one of the challenges. And, and, and there's just a number of things that, that our tool identifies as key, key players. I'll give you an example, Kim. So when, we, when you measure engagement, the results come out like a bell curve. And, and what a bell curve means is that most of the employees are simply huddled around the, around the middle, some fairly similar experiences. But we divide the bell curve into four categories. On the very far right side of the bell curve, you have positive outliers. Then you have the folks that are engaged that are close to the middle. Then you have the somewhat disengaged on the left side of the bell curve. And then on the far left side, when the bell curve uh, you know, winnows down, that's what we call the actively disengaged. And so you need to know how many of those, how many people you have in, in each of those uh, of those categories. But the question is actually, they're not questions. We, we provide statements and they either agree or disagree. But the statement that correlates the most with the actively engaged em, uh, employee on the right, your A player, is this one. I feel valued for more than just the work I produce. I feel valued for more than just the work I produce. Actively engaged employees are 89% more likely to agree with that statement than the disengaged employees. It's just really important. So maybe I get free pizza and some other perk or, or handout, but if, if I don't feel valued as a person for more than just like repairing a vehicle or doing customer service, in other words, if my manager doesn't care about me as a whole person, I'm just a cog in their machine, it's going to be almost impossible to get those employees engaged. All of us want to be seen for who we are. And, and this is just the realization of where we need to go in management. Now, you know, some of the people listening might, may have said, well, look, that's never been the case. We've never had to do that. Right. You haven't. And the reason you haven't is because there's always been an abundance of people. And in and, and our economy, since the beginning of the Industrial Revolution until about three years ago, there were always more people than there were jobs. And what that meant was employees that had a job felt pretty lucky and they worked really hard not to lose that job because they could put their family in peril. And so employees would go to work no matter how awful it was or, or how incompetent their manager was. They would still go to work because they needed the paycheck. But in the environment we're in now, where there is an abundance of work and a scarcity of people, 
all of a sudden managers now have to care about, about what happens at work because all of your employees, if I'm talking to a business owner right now, all of your employees, they don't need your paycheck. They can get one anywhere. There are twice as many open jobs in America as there are unemployed people to fill them. And this is going to be the new norm. We're going to be short of labor for at least the next decade. And it's probably just going to continue to get worse. We're not coming back to the heyday of an abundance of labor. It's just not going to happen. And the reason it's not going to happen is because our population is shrinking. The United States population grew by just one-tenth of one percent last year. One-tenth of one percent. That's the lowest increase in our population since the country was founded. And what's happening fundamentally is the fertility of women in America, and frankly, all over the world, is in decline. So in any given geographic area, like within the United States, there's this number that's, that's, that's labeled the replacement rate. The replacement rate is 2.1. What does that mean? It means that the average woman in America has to have 2.1 children during her lifetime simply to replace the people who are dying. It's also, it's also the fertility rate. It's the same thing. The fertility rate in the United States today is 1.66. We are well below replacement rate. We are not replacing the people who are dying. And then you have a pandemic that accelerates this because mortality has been way, way up. And we cut immigration off at the ankles when, when the pandemic started. Our economy today, the U.S. economy today is short. About two and a half million people that would have been here working if the pandemic hadn't happened. And many of these people that would have been here are first-generation immigrants, skilled, hard workers, most of them, that, that could do the jobs and are willing to do the jobs that many Americans don't want to do, like repair vehicles, pick strawberries and lettuce, you know, do jobs that are you know, repetitive work in a factory or assembly line. So we're hurting. So managers have always been able to count on people coming to work to get the paycheck. They can't do that anymore. Because employees can, again, employees can work anywhere they want. So this is what it boils down to. Managers today have to, for the first time in their professional career, they have to learn how to create the conditions where employees look forward to coming to work. And if they can't do that, the business owners are con continue to be in a world of woe. Look, more than 4 million Americans have been quitting every month since April of 2021 between four and four and a half million every month. I, those numbers are so staggering to me. Every time I hear them, it, I'm, it's just so unbelievable. Yeah, it's almost, it's, it's almost a third of the workforce has quit over the last 18 months. And, and who well, are they Well, but we gave Why it a great catchy name, right? We gave it a catchy name, yeah. the great resignation, so it makes it cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It makes the it cool to be part of that. Yeah, the big, the big quit. Now, what, what has happened? What happened was the pandemic exhausted the resiliency of the American people. That is, we were just exhausted by the deaths, by the stress, by the wearing masks, by businesses being shut down, by watching people every night. I mean, we were losing over 3,000 people a day. Now, that's down to about 325 right now. So we're not watching that every night on the nightly news. But when it came to, so employees would then go to work. And they have a manager that would say, look, if you don't like it, you can leave. And what did 4 million Americans do every month? They left. Bye. And they didn't have, <laughs> yeah, they say, I'm out. 
Um, and they didn't even have a new job lined up and because they were just fed up. Uh, again, no reserve, no resiliency. It's just like, I can't take this anymore. And oh, guess what? I don't have to because I can go look for a job somewhere else and hopefully I won't work for a jerk like the one I just quit. You know, th- this is the first time ever when speaking to people that did quit their job during this time or their children quit or whoever their neighbor in conversations. And first thing somebody said oh, is where are they going to where? Oh, where where are they going? And they say nowhere. And it's like, what? You're quitting a job without having one? I, you know, I, up until a year, two years ago, I, I've never heard that in my life. I, I don't know anyone yeah up until last year that ever quit a job without having another job already lined up. So the, the mentality is com- completely switched on that. And so when, when you look at these stats and when you talk about the replacement rate too, I read something the other day that, I don't know, 1906 or something. And up until then the average family, there was six children, I think, and now it's one point whatever. So Holy cow, yeah. that's that's a heck of a lot. That's we're losing we're losing people besides yeah. they're aging we out are. and the 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 fact is we we the fertility rate has been in decline almost ever since the country was founded primarily because we switched from an agricultural economy where children were assets on the farm but when we switched to a primarily industrial economy parents started to realize these kids are expensive and they started having fewer of them. Um, and now, so the they stopped is, birthing is, employees is, is what yeah, you're saying. They stopped birthing employees. That's great. They stopped birthing staff. And now more recently, what has <laughs> happened is it's, it's two income families and they just, they're just, they can't do as many kids. Both, both parents bless their hearts, want to work and have a career and feel valuable and, and feel like productive members of society. And, and that has moved away from simply being a good, you know, raising a family as that's, that is lost. Um, preeminence, I guess, which is probably unfortunate, but um, society has done this. And I'm, frankly, they've done it to women uh, where the, the pressures on women are enormous. You're, you're supposed to be a good mom and a good parent, and you're supposed to have a prof- professional career. And that's what social media is. And you better have your house clean and make cookies yes. for the PTA and have dinner on the table yeah. to feed everybody and help with the homework. I, yeah, yeah, I... I yeah. I know for you know sure. The drill. I, I, I know, I yeah. know the drill. It's unfair. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There, it, there's uh there, we could do a whole episode just on that. So, so when, when you're thinking about having, having managers and how they're treating the people, I, there's such a, and I hate to keep using the word disconnect, but there's such a disconnect between managers and how they treat people. And they think that they can treat somebody like crap all day or bark orders or speak to them horribly. And then Friday be like, Oh, great job today, buddy. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't match up. And it, how, how do we get that? Because right, if you take up away the, the labor shortage, anyone that's not doing everything they can to, retain the people that they have is just crazy. But if you even put that aside a minute and talk about productivity and profits, you know, people are complaining their profit margins are shrinking because of inflation, parts cost more, labor costs more, and they're seeking out new profit centers. There isn't anything that can instantaneously 
bring increased profits and, and be a, literally another profit center to your business than employee engagement. Can you, can you speak to that a little bit? Sure. Yeah, and I'll handle it from, from both sides of the equation. On one side of the equation, we know that engaged employees are more productive. So, for example, visualize that bell curve again. Your A players on the right are literally three times more productive than the D players, the actively disengaged on the left. So you, you've got all, every single business owner has employees, and they're all essentially paid, uh, you know, not exactly the same, but they're all paid in the same way, and there's a rank order. But almost every company has A and D players, and they pay them the same. So if you're a, 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 an A player and you get the same raise as the D players, the slackers on the left, that's going to impact you. But if you've got a solid, good A player and they're getting the recognition and validation they, they need in order to sustain that level of effort, they're just much more productive. So what does that mean? You don't, mean, you don't need as many people on staff to get the same work done if you have a more engaged crew. The other part of it is um, just the cost of high turnover. Uh, and it's never in someone's budget. The funny thing is I have I have leaders that say, gosh, Don, this is really important. I'd like to do this, but we don't have anything in the budget this year. So we're going to have to wait until next <laughs> year. to do it. And then I asked them, well, do you have in your budget uh, all the turnover costs you're incurring and how much they've gone up? And they and their eyes get wide. They go, well, no, but we have to do that. <laughs> and I just I, I just throw up my hands. If you want to to to, to stem the hemorrhaging of staff which you are paying for because you have to pay more to hire people. You pay more when they come in and many of you have to pay them to get the agencies to find them for you. Um, if you want to stop that landslide, then start engaging your employees. That's the place to start. It's not terribly expensive. In fact, it's, it's, it's the cost is de minimis compared to the cost of constantly having to rehire people and teach them things. But so here's the thing. It would be common sense to focus on retention. Common ain't common too much anymore, Don, but. <laughs> yeah, but it, it, it common sense is not common practice. So, and getting leaders to change their mindset on this is excruciating. And, and many of them are only finally doing the right thing when they just literally can't find people anymore. And, they're, and then they go, okay, what do I need to do? I just don't understand why they're so reluctant. Look, the science, again, the science has given us a recipe for a high performance workplace, why on earth would you ignore it? Why, why would you rely on your own intuition? I, I have leaders to say, yeah, but my impression is, or my experience is, you've got to throw that on the junk heap. Your impression and your experience is anecdotal. It's not science. And, and it's impressionistic and it's based on your own internal hidden biases and everything else. Scrap it and, and turn to science uh, and because and, and, it works every time. Unless you've hired a sociopath, and then I—I I feel like you're listening to all my coaching calls, Don, and just repeating <laughs> verbatim what what's happening. So, when when speaking about productivity, and they 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 miss less time, employees miss less time when they're engaged. I, here's another Fewer thing actions. that, and I am not looked up the stats in a in a couple of months now, but of, of people calling in sick and not showing up for work at all. We are at, last time I looked, the number was just so crazy. I think I just blocked it out of my head. And everybody yeah. we talked to, regardless of what industry, people just don't show up on their shift. And then they'll come in a couple of days later, like nothing happened. 
or they'll call in sick or they just the slightest little thing. Now they're just like, Oh, I have a headache. I'm not coming in today. That's costing companies a lot of money. And we're actually looking at staffing models that are one and a half or two times what they actually need just to make up for all of the people calling out and, and engaged employees are not doing that. They're not calling out every minute and not showing up on a whim is, is, is that correct still? Because yeah. well, it's absolutely correct. In fact, we had a very large organization when they did their survey with us. They also linked uh, for each employee, they put in how much vacation time they had taken in the previous year. And it was really interesting. The most engaged employees in the organization had taken very little vacation time. Now, it turns out the CEO didn't think that was healthy and was worried about burnout. But the point is, and this is the point you just made, the least engaged employees uh, took lots of vacation and took all of their sick days. And look, it, it, was, it wasn't long. Yeah, pre-pandemic, employees, and, and they almost, and many prided themselves in coming to work even if they didn't feel well. I mean, people came to work sick. I'm not saying that was a good thing, but they did because they were committed and wanted to get the work done. But now, to your point, they feel a little something, and this is what the pandemic did with the fear about contagion. Now they, they have a cold or the sniffles and they say, oh, I don't want to come in and infect anybody. And it feels much more plausible than likely, but it's also more likely they're disengaged. Um, they, look, the engaged employees, they're more resilient, both physically and mentally. They provide more engaging experiences for customers. The, the customer experience goes way, way up. They're less likely to be involved in an accident. Uh, so when engagement goes up, the accident rate plunges. When engagement goes up, customer engagement goes up, follows it. The, the ratio is, is, is about 0.85. So if you can increase employee engagement about 10%, uh, customer engagement goes up on average 8.5%. It's a very tight correlation. We've seen a huge decrease in comebacks too you know, mistakes on the yep. the job, you know, performing their duties as well. Yeah. Engaged employees, the, what the research says, they have high higher mental acuity. That is, they're just more mentally present and they're literally smarter when they're engaged. The disengaged employee is almost like someone who is lethargic and in a mist. They, they don't perform at anywhere close to their full capacity. And, and a lot of them just simply don't care. And, and look, traditionally, Kim, we've blamed that condition on the employee. We've said, oh, those are broken, defective employees. Our research is really clear. Uh, disengaged employees tend to aggregate under specific managers. I'll give you an example. I did a, a, a debrief with a large client company last week. They had, they're a big company, but they had 80 employees who were actively disengaged, that far left side of the bell curve. But when we looked at the data, 42% um, of them reported to five managers. So it's not like the disengagement was rampant across the organization and they'd done a horrible job in their onboarding. There were five managers wow. who were fueling that. And over well over 50% of them were in one location, one geographic location, which I would have to describe was a train wreck. Um, and that's about leadership and managers. And so one thing leaders have traditionally done is they blamed employees for being disengaged when our data is really clear. Often their disengagement makes perfect sense when you understand who they work for or who they work with. And we, that's that's the issue we have to get to. What What is driving disengagement? Ineffective leaders, frankly, is, is 
70% of it. Wow. I know, I know we're coming at the end, close to the end of our time here, but 2023, wow. it's a new sense. year. Everybody's making yeah. new resolutions. Yeah. I'm going to do all this stuff and goal setting and all. What are the biggest issues you think that our leaders are going to be facing in 2023? Well, first of all, let me say that your leaders in your program, you've got to measure. Uh, and the reason you need to, to measure is because you can't manage what you don't measure. So measure, get your baseline, find out where you're starting the year in terms of engagement. Uh, but what you're going to find in 2023, uh, the, the big issues now with employees are flexibility in their schedule. And about half of the uh, of employees when surveyed over the last two years have said if they don't get more flexibility in their schedule, they're going to look for work somewhere else. So I know it's hard and I know you're short staffed, but how can you work some sort of flexibility into your system? That means typically that you have to cross train more. So you've got more redundancy inside. Um, and it may be that you have to have an extra person on staff in order to provide the flexibility that your employees want. And I will tell you, it's going to be much cheaper to have one additional person on staff than it is going to be churning through and, and have a high turnover rate. Uh, you don't want a turnover rate, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50%. Some of our people we've worked with, it's as high as 100%. And that's actually in one of those is in your industry. You don't want that to be you. And so be willing to do that. Also, do more than, you know, pizza parties. You've got to train your managers so that they understand what the new mindset is in the workplace today. And be flexible and be adaptable. Um, you will hear things in employment interviews that employees want. And part of you is going to say, are you kidding me? Um, but another part of you has to say, whoa, whoa Don, keep, don't say a word. This person has the skills we need. So it's a new world. Maybe I should entertain this. Um, and so just be a little bit more open and flexible, perhaps, than you've been in the past. Just remember, none of your employees need your paycheck. They can get one anywhere. So the question is, why are they still working for you? And those that's what you should be working on in 2023. You want to be an employer of choice. You want to be the place where they come when they quit the other guys. So I don't, I guess I'll stop there. I don't even want to say anything because there's nothing to follow up with that, that just I, none of your employees need your paycheck. And if everybody doesn't start thinking about that, I... I just that that was a that was a perfect ending, Don. I'm not touching that. So thank you so right. much for joining me. And I have all of Don's links are going to be in the comments below. And make sure you check out uh, Thrive by Design because it's really a fascinating, fascinating book about how our brains are wired and just what we need to 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 exist. It's just fantastic. Go, so and, and, and go to YouTube. And search for Don Ring TED Talk and get a little glimpse of the science. That's going to be very important for you. And lastly, do your coaches a favor. Take the survey so your coaches have real data to help you with more accuracy. Help your coaches. Don, I couldn't possibly love you Thank any you. more than I do right now. So all of the links will be below. I'll include the TED Talk as well, the, the website, the book, and Thank you so much for your time because you are like one of the busiest people I ever met. So um, everybody, I'll be back next week. And in the meantime, stay safe, make good choices and stay inspired. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Maximum Optane, your ride to the entrepreneur's evolution. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please share it with a friend. 
And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas, or you just want to be a guest on my show, I want to hear from you. You can reach me directly at mlpodcast at autotraining.net. Thanks for listening and keep seeking information everywhere that you can. 